And now the announcement I know I've been waiting to make because I've been working on this for a long time. The newest edition of the NWO. And Bret Hart, what? because you were such a knockout kind of guy. He passed the initiation. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to November of 1997 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Three volumes for this month, a rather significant volume number one, as we look at the, the final days of Bret Hart in the WWF over in Volume number one. In Volume number three, we look at all things ECW in their latest pay-per-view, and we're here in number two to look at WCW and their World War Three pay-per-view. I'm being joined firstly by Craig Wilson. Craig, good morning. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. And Dan Welling, Dan, hello. Hello, good morning, sirs. How are we all doing? Good, good. I have a little bit under the weather, but I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't come across too much. Dan, kick us off with the news. Bret Hart signed a contract with WCW this month, not before he fell victim to what will likely go down as the most famous double cross in wrestling history at the Survivor Series. Bret was allowed to renew talks with WCW, it seemed, as Vince McMahon was having a cold feet over the 20-year contract that he signed last year. After losing the title to Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, Brett hasn't appeared on television just yet, but is expected to debut on Nitro soon. As for WCW's part in this, they held a welcoming party on the second Nitro of the month, crediting him for being a knockout kind of guy, and have been telling that he will join the NWO. Scott Hall won the latest 60-man battle royal at World War III, getting him a shot at the World Championship for early next year. Hall ended up in the final three against Page and Hall before Hogan inserted himself into the match, eliminating Page before Kevin Nash arrived dressed as Sting to eliminate Giant. And if one sentence uh, sums up WCW. It was otherwise a pretty forgettable show. Eddie Guerrero defeating Rey Mysterio in the best match of the night and Kurt Henning defeating Ric Flair in an ODQ match. There were also wins for Meng and the Barbarian, Perry Saturn, Yugi Nakato, Steiners, Raven and Stephen Michael who defeated Alex Wright, subbing in for the injured Bill Goldberg. Sorry Craig, you asked us before we went on air about how to pronounce Yuji Nagata and then you said Yuji Nakato. <laughs> Alright, um, okay, well, I'll do that one again. <laughs> no, we're going to leave it in. We're carrying on. We're going to leave it in. Right. Dad, Dad, take us, t- take us through. <laughs> oh dear. Six will be out for a few months after having surgery on his neck. And apparently his six-ball NWO shirts have become the second bestseller in the company behind the Sting shirts. Eric Bischoff also wants to break up the WCW tag division, thinking along similar lines to Vince McMahon that paying four guys for one match is too expensive. Don't expect the titles to go away, but expect a lot more patch together teams. Rick Rude made a surprise appearance on Nitro, and thanks to Raw being taped from the week before, actually appeared on both shows on the same night. His appearance took both the WWF and ECW by surprise, although neither had him under contract. And Ric Flair has signed a three-year contract this month. Hulk Hogan is still a little bit up in the air, but Big Eric Bischoff is saying he signed through until the end of 1998. 
And a reminder that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access to our shows, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 RS links in the podcast description and on our website. Onto the ratings for a month. A strong month for Nitro, although after what happened at Survivor Series, Raw did significantly close the gap. On uh, on November the 3rd, Nitro Day 4 to Raw's 2.6. On November the 10th, Nitro Day 4.3, but as I say, Raw jumped to a 3.4. Uh, November the 17th, Nitro Day 4.1 to Raw's 3.1 on November 24th Nitro Day 3.9 to 4.3 The opening Nitro of the month is live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Tony Schiavone announces that Sting and Hogan have signed their contracts to face each other at Starcade at the press conference during a commercial break on Assault on Devil's Island Yet clips from the press conference Sting showed up late intimidated Hogan signed the contract without looking and left Pretty underwhelming all of that. Opening match has Eddie Guerrero and Di Malenko taking on Rey Mysterio Jr. and Steve Regal. Tony says this is the kind of crazy matchup you'll see at World War 3. Didn't know there were teams in a battle royal. After a frantic opening, Rey kicks Regal by mistake. Eddie powerbombs Rey and Malenko tag himself in to submit Rey with the cloverleaf. Next up we have Dave Taylor and Fit Finley. Raven and his crew interrupt through the crowd about a minute in and Finley wins with a tombstone shortly after. Eric Bischoff calls in. He says Hogan is not scared of Sting. He insulted Roddy Piper, saying the nerve damage he suffered is consistent with the brain damage he must have had for even daring to step in the cage with Hogan. He finishes up bragging about Assault on Devil's Island, taking shots at Vince McMahon for the failure of his best Survivor Series special. He promises the whole NWO will be there next week and he would bring a big surprise. Psychosis takes on Huji Nagata. Psychosis runs right with some crazy offense for Sonny Ono while arguing with the ref, kicks Psychosis in the head, and Huji uses the Nagata lock for the win. Raven cut a promo about how much he hated sixth grade. He said he'd close his eyes and pretend he was someone different and that he was a misfit. He says nothing behaves as consistently as a human being set on destruction. Disco Inferno defends the TV title against the debuting Perry Saturn. The crowd chanted ECW throughout. Saturn uses the rings of Saturn to win the TV title. The flock hit the ring to celebrate, but Raven throws Stevie to the outside. Gene Oakland brings out Ric Flair for a promo. Flair promised to find Kurt Henning tonight. He calls out the NWO and vows to win World War III. Scott Hall comes out, he calls out Larry Zabisco, belittling him as an announcer and a wrestler before showing images of Bischoff attacking Zabisco and Hall had already beaten him down. Jericho comes out to face Hall, he runs wild with kicks early, much to Larry's approval. Scott Hall looks for the razor's edge, but Jericho counters into a small package for the quick win. The crowd pop huge for the upset, but Hall immediately destroys Jericho after the match, hitting him with the edge twice. Crowd chance for Larry, who goes down to confront Hall with a contract to sign. Hall walks out instead, and Larry calls him a coward to end the segment. Mike Tenay is back with Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors, this time a quick run through a bunch of moves. This leads to a Lucha Libre Battle Royal, the most traditional of all Lucha Libre matches. After barely two minutes, the Giant comes out to choke slam everybody, so this Battle Royal ends in a no contest. After cleaning house, Giant cuts a promo value to win World War 3 and says them ho- he hopes the match will come down to him and Nash so he can throw him into the crowd. Alex Wright takes on Ric Flair. This felt more like a flight than a typical Ric Flair match. After seven minutes of hard-hitting back-and-forth action, Flair hits a suplex and submits Wright with the figure four. Raid Trader and Mongo is up next. They have a slow lumbering match until Goldberg comes out. He distracts Mongo, who is then pinned after the spike slam. 
Mean Gene interviews DDP. He brags about drawing a big pay-per-view audience at Halloween Havoc and going on to win World War Three to get a shot against Hogan. Steiners take on the public enemy in a Philly street fight. The majority of the match is shown on a split screen as the pair, they pair off and brawl all over the place. The finish sees the public enemy set up on two tables on top of each other. They put Rick between them. Johnny Grunge jumps off of the top through both tables. DBRC was evidently meant to pull Rick out of the way, but only really half managed it. And Rick comes up bleeding a lot from the neck. Scott quickly comes on, jumps on Grunge for the pin while looking over to check his brother's well-being. We had a video from World War 3 from last year recapping the match which saw Giant get the win. The main event introduced by Buffer saw Kurt Henning take on Lex Luger. They have a pretty basic match with Henning in control. Luger made a comeback, tried the rack by Henning by grabbing the ropes and pulls both men to the floor. Flair runs out, attacks Henning for the DQ. He chases Henning up the ramp and Luger follows. The show runs off, goes off the air with Flair and Luger arguing over Flair costing Luger the match. The NWO kicked things off in Memphis by coming down to the ring for a promo carrying Canadian flags. Bischoff says they have two huge surprise announcements and promptly brought out the returning Kevin Nash as the first. Nash says he will face the Giant but only in the 60-man battle royal at World War III. Bischoff brags about spending a billionaire's money in order to surround himself with the best talent available. Bischoff jokes about Bret Hart being a knockout kind of guy before they all sing Oh Canada. He announces Bret is the newest member of the NWO and the announcers are baffled that someone who grew up in the business and stands for a tradition like Bret could join the group. After the break, Mean Gene reiterates to the crowd uh, that Bret Hart has joined the NWO before plugging the hotline with news about a backstage confrontation between Bret and, quote, an opposing promoter. Our opening match sees Steve Regal and Dave Taylor take on Harlem Heat. Booker misses a splash from the top. Taylor chop blocks Stevie Ray and hits a butterfly suplex for the quick win. Up next, we have Disco Inferno versus Chris Jericho. Ray and his queued Crane through the crowd to distract everyone early on. Jericho gets the win with a lion tamer. As Disco is leaving, Kidman throws a soda in his face. Disco pulls Kidman over the rail and drops him with a stunner. A brawl breaks out until Scotty Riggs runs down to make the save and Raven pulls his men off. We get Barbarian versus Glacier, during which Jimmy Hart comes down to the ring to a big reaction. Glacier hits a double overhead belly-to-belly suplex to Barbarian right on his head, which looked nasty. Glacier hits Hart with a chronic kick. Barbarian tried to come off the top, but also got hit with a kick for the finish. Mank hit the ring after the match and lays out Glacier with a tongue and death grip. Raven hits the ring for a promo. He apologises for the damage he's done to Scotty Riggs' eye. He speaks about how his child was tortured and how he was picked on, beaten and bullied, to which Tony says, I can see why. Raven says he surrounded himself with the dregs of society in order to take revenge on the world. We get a brief Mongo Goldberg video package for Nagata versus Alex Wright. Sonny Ono gives Deborah some money and forcibly kisses her so she slaps him. This distracts Wright long enough for you to take advantage and apply the Nagata lock for the win. Hogan and Bischoff kick off the second hour. They hold up a movie poster that shows Sting has a role in a movie called The Real Reason Men Commit Crimes and are furious that he's trying to break into Hogan's industry. Hogan says that if Sting wants to be Hollywood so bad he should step out and face him tonight. Sutton defends the TV title against Chris Benoit. He blocks a cradle pin into one of his own with the ropes for leverage. Nick Patrick takes his time to check the toll as we're down before the three. Orderly counting a definitive three count and calling for the bell. Bell doesn't ring, just keep fighting. Eventually the bell does ring and the announcers have no idea what happened. Benoit brawls with the flock until Finley comes out and takes Benoit out with a tombstone pile driver. Me Gene brings out Flair for a promo. He vows to win World War 3, disable Kurt Henning and beat Lex Luger tonight. 
He declares that after World War III, he'll become a 14-time champion and will party with Gene and the Nitro Girls. Rey Mysterio Jr. defends the Cruiserweight title against Eddie Guerrero. Finish Shaw Mysterio go for a springboard Hurricane Rana, but Guerrero catches him and throws him neck first into the ropes. Follows that with a frog splash for the win to become the new WCW Cruiserweight champion. Blanco runs out after the match and has a stare down with Eddie. Ray Trailer takes on Randy Savage. They brawl all over the place with Trailer hitting a chair shot to the head. He goes up to the top, but Elizabeth crops him on the turnbuckle. Savage hits a body slam and an elbow drop for the win. After the match, he hits a few more big elbows and Elizabeth tags the trailer with spray paint. Kurt Hennig is out to take on Darwin Dallas Page. Page runs wild early before Henning takes control, attacking DDP's ribs and tearing the tape away. Eventually, Page makes a comeback and the place goes crazy for it. Henning cuts him off with a random US title shot. Belt, uh, title belt shot for the DQ. The main event sees Ric Flair take Lex Luger on. They have a good competitive back and forth match, both guys getting their signature spots in. Finish comes after Luger hits a power slam, calls to the rack, and Kurt Henning runs out for the DQ. Lex presses Flair onto Henning, which saw Flair immediately get full mount in and lay in some nice punches. Flair and Henning brawl to the back to end the segment. Bischoff and Hogan come out again to end the show. Hogan calls Sting a coward. Sting descends from the rafters into the aisle. He gets in the ring and throws the bat away, but it's the trap, and the NWO run in and attack Sting. They all beat him down with Hogan, and Hogan hits three leg drops, and after screaming, I am God, into the camera, we go off the air. Today, yeah, yeah, I feel, feel, feel like a luckiest, luckiest man in the world. <laughs> You know, I've been sitting at home for the last four or five weeks listening to the giant running his mouth. Let me tell you something, big man. Besides winning Ben Stein's money, there's nothing I'd like to do more than to give you the beating of your life. But I don't work for free, big man, so if you want to do it, I got an idea. Yeah, whatever. So, Giant, it's real simple. You want to lock horns with me, you got to do it on my terms. And my terms is, get your big carcass into the big three-ring circus they call World War III because Kevin Nash is coming to his hometown of Detroit, Michigan. And I'll see you there, big man. Alright, 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 and we've got another big announcement. Can you hold this for me, please? You know, not only does the real big man feel like the luckiest man in the world, but so do I. And for good reason. Because not only do I get to hang with some of the coolest people in this business, long hair, beard, smokes a cigar, rides a Harley, and you all know I love that. But I get to spend a billionaire's money 
because I can. And I spend that money to surround myself with the biggest, most impressive names in the sport today. And now the announcement I know I've been waiting to make because I've been working on this for a long time. The newest edition of the NWO. And Bret Hart, what? because you were such a knockout kind of guy. He passed the initiation. Oh. We have a special, special gift for you. Liz, can you come around here? Do we have to watch this? Did, did he say Bret, Bret Hart's Hart? name? I guess that's what the Canadian that's what flags are about. I, Bret Hart wouldn't join the New World Order. All right, let's do it. On three, ready? One... Two, this is for you, Brett. Three. Oh, Canada. Our home and native land. True patriot love. And sun's coming. Hey, I gotta get my glasses. With glowing hearts we see. That's not all he's gotta get. Right, only one real place to go before the pay per view. Um, we're on the uh, we're on the second Nitro of the month, the night after Survivor Series. Nitro has a one hour lead in before Raw starts. Uh, a pretty captive audience, obviously. Um, you know, and it, it should be said, and we'll elaborate on this in a lot more detail in volume number one. If you haven't heard that already. Um, but the the news of Bret Hart joining WCW was broken basically the week before. Um, it was in the, the newsletters as of about Wednesday, um, and it was kind of all over the internet by Thursday or Friday, and they they reckon it had generated a lot of uh, increased interest in the show come Sunday. But come Monday, at least, it wasn't really a... It wasn't really breaking news to a lot of people that Bret Hart was going to sign with WCW. But anyway, they obviously had to do something with it. So Eric Bischoff comes out with the NWO. They're all carrying Canadian flags, as they do. Um, and then, yeah, we, we kind of get the, the, the segment part of which you'd have just heard. Like, it was a, a crazy, it was a very listless segment. Like, you know, the to, to me, the announcement of Bret Hart, you know, if you'd have said to me WCW were going to announce Bret Hart in whatever way, shape, or form, I'd have figured they'd have done a significantly better job than this. Hey, yeah, no, absolutely. When I uh, when I watched this, uh, one of the first things I wrote down was pretty average segment. I mean, if if this is the sort of I, I can I can get the sort of teasing angle and everything like that, but I think a lot of people would have been tuned in to maybe see the Hitman in the WCW ring, and it. it felt like a bit of a waste, to be honest. I don't think they they, they will have at all capitalised on on any increased in, interest. And yeah, it just seemed like a, a pretty standard sort of uh, NWO WCW intro segment. Dan? Yeah, obviously they're kind of limited to what they can do because Brett can't be on TV because there's no compete clause for a month. But as as Craig mentioned there, it, it always has to go back to WCW versus NWO with, with WCW, even if they have captured the most kind of 
one of the biggest pieces of the other, of the opposing side's chessboard, you know? Um, I don't know why this didn't make the announcement of Bret Hart be a J.J. Dillon thing, first of all, you know, saying we're delighted for him to, to join the fray and, and you know, show the world that WWE is still the best place in the world for wrestling. And then the NWO can do their thing and saying, oh, no, no, we're going to ruin this party for you. We're going to bring him to the side and then bring out the the image of the Canadian flags, which was kind of quite funny, I will admit. Um, but yeah, it just seems like it just goes back to everything has to be related to the NWO and WCW. And I don't know why they just didn't make this a separate entity, first of all, and then have the intrigue happen after later on in the show. Um, but obviously, we'll know more when Brett comes around next month or next week, depending on where it is going to be. But yeah, it's a little bit underwhelming for what they actually managed to achieve. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's this, you know, the, the, the NWO and Eric Bischoff probably wanted to have the limelight, a shock horror. I break no new ground saying that. Um, and I, I think that was part of the thinking was, you know, let's have Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan, the stars of the show, making this big announcement. Um, you know, but it's we talk about WCW not being able to get things always all that right in terms of presentation. Um, and I don't know that saying, oh, well, we've got this big announcement, but first let's bring out Kevin Nash. And like, I know Nash has been off for like four or five weeks, but he's not been away that long. Nash comes out, does his thing. Um, and, and then, it, you know, they didn't really announce it. Bischoff kind of just dropped Bret Hart's name in mid-sentence. Um, you know, they got the line in about him being a knockout kind of guy, which was quite nice, you know. I, I, I'm still a bit surprised Bret Hart didn't knock him out on the show rather than backstage, but there we are. Um, you know, Bret, you passed the initiation, etc. That was all well and nice. Um, but yeah, just a, you know, a very strange segment. They're all carrying Canadian flags, and then Bischoff does the, yeah, Bischoff does the, you know, starts saying, right, we're going to sing the Canadian national anthem. And then he's like, oh shit, I've forgotten my glasses. Kurt, can you sing this for me? Which was quite funny. Um, and yeah, it, it just, it felt like it should have been a blockbuster announcement. And it felt like, for WCW terms, it should have been something that they should have trailed throughout the month. Like, they should have come up with, even though Brett's not there, until a point, even though they've got nothing decided. I know they had the, they had some of the kind of inset promos later in the month where they had guys like Giant and Paige and Luger saying, you know, I can't, I, I cannot believe that Bret Hart would join the NWO. But they could have done a lot more with it. Um, I think we'll discuss later in the show perhaps what they might do with him. But to me, it's just a, I wouldn't call it a wasted opportunity, necessarily. Um, I just don't think it was a brilliantly executed segment, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's move on to the pay-per-view. The go-home show for World War Three opens up with the NWO coming out for a promo. Scott Hall does the NWO survey for that burying Larry Zabisco for being old and slow. Nash says that he and Hall are the rightful tag team champions because Six has subbed in for him when the Steiners won the belts. Bischoff says he has a surprise for everyone tonight. Out comes Hogan, who then introduces Rick Rude. Rude takes the mic and says he wants to talk about the rights and wrongs of professional wrestling. He says Shawn Michaels should never claim to be a champion when he never beat Bret Hart, and it's wrong for Vince McMahon to told the referee to ring the bell to rob Bret of his title. Rude said it was right for Brett to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO. He promised that the NWO would beat up Sting again, he'd be there to join in. Hogan takes back the mic and says Spring has sprung and Sting has been stung. 
Hogan says the NWO will rule for life. Gene Oakland brings out Ray Trailer for a promo. He says he'll fight anyone one-on-one face-to-face, but the NWO are only interested in jumping him as a gang from behind. The NWO basically do just that. Hogan whips him and Savage tags him with spray paint. The opening match of the show has Glacier taking on Meng. Hart calls down Barbarian, but Meng ducks a kick and locks in the tongue and death grip for the win before Barbarian can interfere. Meng and Barbarian beat down Glacier until Ernest Miller hits the ring to make a save. Megan hit puts her tongue death grip in on Miller to end the segment. Next up, we have Alex Wright taking on Steve Mongo McMichael. Tony announces that Mongo vs. Goldberg is official for World War 3. Finish has Mongo sidestep a flying body press to beat down Wright in the corner of the ring. Patrick tries to break it up, but Mongo tosses him around the ring for the DQ. Rey Mysterio takes on Chris Jericho. The highlight of the match probably Jericho standing on the top rope and press slamming Mysterio to the mat. The finish saw Jericho try a triple powerbomb, but Bray slips out when it hits the springboard Hurricane Rana for the win. Into the second hour, Eric Bischoff comes to the announce desk to harass Abisko. He goes Larry to chase him and the NWO B team run out and they lay Larry out. A fan actually tries to jump in and make the save but was quickly tackled by security. They hold up Larry and Eric hits a spinning back kick to end the segment. Viano 5 takes on Darren Dallas Page. Viano 4 is on the outside interfering throughout. DDP hits a Pescado and both men follow up with, follow up with a diamond cutter for the win. To close the segment, he hits another diamond cutter on Viano 4. Eddie Guerrero defends his cruiserweight title against Dean Malenko. There's some good heat in this match with the fans chanting, Eddie sucks. As some good back and forth near falls, Malenko hits a fantastic top rope back suplex. The ref counts both men out for a double count out finish. Next up is Scotty Riggs against Saturn. Kimmon offers Riggs one more chance to join the flock, but Riggs refused. Riggs has his eye patch torn off during the match. He's wearing white contact lens on that side. Riggs hits Saturn out of the ring and goes to the top for hitting a plancher over the barricade onto the flock in the crowd. Back in the ring, Saturn takes control and they beat him with the rings of Saturn. Raven's flock attack, but Raven quickly calls them off. The Steiners were making their way down the ring for a match, but the NWO charged in from behind to lay them out on the aisle. Hogan whips Scott with the belt and Savage tags Rick with the spray paint to end the segment. Kurt Henning was out next to take on Lex Luger. Henning made his way to the entrance wearing a red Ric Flair robe without sleeves. They had a complete nothing match which features locks of slight strikes and sleeper holds. They brawl on the outside when Henning shoved Nick Patrick into Luger before following up with a belt shot. Back in the ring, Henning hits a Henning plex but the ref calls to the bell without counting the pin. The crowd are chanting for Flair as Henning beats on Luger but out comes the giant. Kurt Henning bails to end the segment. The main event sees Scott Hall go up to take out the giant. Kevin Nash forced Bobby Heenan to leave the country team and takes his spot. Hall walks over, works over Giant's hand and slams it into the post and stares on the outside. In the ring, he stomps on the same hand until Giant eventually makes the comeback. He started, stared at his now bleeding hand, fought through the pain and hit a choke slam. At this point, the NWO hit the ring for the DQ, but finally WCW have had enough, and various mid-carders run down and brawl with the NWO to end the show and give us a sample of the type of action we can see at World War Three. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. What's wrong in the world of professional wrestling is Shawn Michaels claiming to be world champion when he never beat Bret Hart. 
What's wrong with the world of professional wrestling is for Vince McMahon to instruct a referee to ring the bell in order to rob Bret Hart of his title. But on the other hand, what's right in the world of professional wrestling is for Bret Hart to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is NWO's course to destruct WCW. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is for the NWO to beat the living out of the man called Sting. So, on to the pay-per-view. Dan, you have joined the short straw, as this is World War Three. Can you keep us off with the results? And every single person competed on this show. <laughs> the Faces of Fear defeated Glacier and Ernest Miller. Perry Saturn retained his WCW Television Championship by defeating Disco Inferno. Yuji Nagata defeated Ultimo Dragon. The Steiner Brothers defended their WCW Tag Team Championships against the Blue Bloods. Raven defeated Scotty Riggs. Steve McMichael defeated Alex Wright. Eddie Guerrero retained his WCW Cruiserweight Championship against Rey Mysterio. Kurt Hennig defeated Ric Flair to retain his WCW United States Heavyweight Championship in a no disqualification match. And Scott Hall won the 60-man World War III Battle Royal by defeating Chris Adams, Brad Armstrong, Buff Bagwell, The Barbarian, Chris Benoit, Bobby Blaze, Booker T, Sickerplay, Damien, El Dante, Barry Darslow, Disco Inferno, Jim Duggan, Fit Finley, Hector Garza, Glacier, Johnny Grunge, Juventud Guerrero, Chava Guerrero Jr., Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Hennig, Prince Ikea, Chris Jericho, Liz Mark Jr., Lex Luger, Dean Malenko, Steve McMichael, Meng, Ernest Miller, Rey Mysterio Jr., Hugh Morris, Mortis, Yuji Nagata, John Nord, Diamond Dallas Page, The Parker, Lord Stephen Regal, The Renegade, Rocco Rock, Randy Savage, Silver King, Norman Smiley, Louis Sneakerplay, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, Stevie Ray, Super Callow, Squire David Taylor, Ray Trailer, Ultimo Dragon, Greg Valentine, Viano 4, Viano 5, Kendall Whitman, Raph, Alex Wright, and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. 60 minutes, a lot of names. Well done, Dan. Uh, Craig, what do you think of this show? Uh, I thought the I thought the main event was uh, probably the the best uh, battle uh, royal that they've done with the sixty men, uh, but I, I wasn't a big fan at all of uh, the finish and the rest of the card just left me a bit wanting. I, like I don't know, I th- the Ric Flair match versus Perfect uh, versus Kurt Hennig, sorry, was good, but they've, they've had better matches. And I know we we singled out Mysterio versus Eddie as the best match, but again, I think you could go through any other back catalogue of matches and find better ones. So, uh, pretty disappointing overall, I would say. Dan? Yeah, I think this is incredibly disappointing. Um, the matches that I expected to be rubbish were rubbish. The matches I expected to be really good were not as good as the previous outings. And the matches that I expected to be meh never got out of second gear and never exceeded my expectations. 
so yeah, overall, I just thought, I just was left really wanting by this pay per view. Um, and as always, the World War Three. As someone who hasn't watched uh, basketball before, I can't say that this is uh, better than the other ones because for me, this was this was really poor executed main event anyway. Um, so yeah, really disappointing from my end. Well, if this is the first three-ring battle roar you've seen from WCW, this was at least the one that included the least amount of three-way split screen, which is a uh, particular problem of mine whenever we have to review these shows. Um, but yeah, this was a almost shockingly flat WCW show. Like, you know, sometimes you you usually get the good wrestling, if nothing else. We didn't really get that. Like, there's a couple of matches on this card, you're like shit, this should be really good, and none of them really were. Um, and then we were kind of got to a main event that was very predictable for a while. And then we get to the, uh, you know, the, 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 finish, the finishing few minutes were at least somewhat clever, somewhat. Um, but yeah, just quite a, a, quite a flat show. We'll see where we go. Uh, we start with a video of a bloke in a gas mask covering scorched earth following a nuclear blast. All life is dead except WCW. Well, give it three hours, I suppose. Uh, first up, it's Glacier and Ernest Miller versus Meng and Barbarian with Jimmy Hart. We're in the left of the three rings. Briefly starts as two on two before some order is restored. Glacier does a leg sweep on Meng. As ever, the announcers have to remind us how tough Megan Barbarian is as we infrequently get to see it. Glacier chases after Hart on the R-way, but he gets caught out. Meng backdrops Glacier onto Barbarian, who clutches Glacier, lifts him into position, and then drops him for a powerbomb, which gets a pop. Faces a fear pound on Glacier in their corner. Heenan compares Meng playing rugby and Tonga to playing basketball in San Quentin. Guys, you don't want to fight. All faces the fear so far. Glacier attempts to fight back, but keeps losing the numbers game. Glacier hits a belly-to-back, then gets a tag in on Miller. Miller lays out everyone with kicks, then knocks out Hart off the apron. Sorry, knocks Hart off of the apron with a palm strike. He turns back into a torn death grip by Meng, who ends up winning it by pinfall. Dan? Yeah, it was fine. It was just nothing more than that, really. I mean, Glacier just isn't very good, period. And Ernest Miller's why he's got a little bit of charisma and he's got some good kicks. That's all he's got, really. So as soon as he's finished with that... Is nothing more to the match, really. And as tough as Meng and Barbarian are, you know, the, the commentators keep saying, I still don't think they're quite at that level to carry to limited workers like Glacier and Miller are. Um, and as, you've, as we kind of referenced throughout the year, you take Glacier and, Meng and um, Miller out of their Mortal Kombat realm, they kind of just don't, I just don't think they fit really well anymore in, in terms of WCW can do with them. Um, and yeah, so just, it was there, the crowd actually appeared quite hot, comparatively to what actually they got for the most of the most of the night, which was surprising. Um, but yeah, just fine, nothing more than that at all. Craig? Uh, there's a couple of nice spots in this, I thought. I quite liked uh, Miller coming off uh, the Barbarian for a, sorry, the cat coming off Meng and springboarding into a splash in the Barbarian. I thought that was quite a nice spot. And I also liked the uh, backdrop from Meng into a powerbomb from the Barbarian. I thought I thought those those were uh, both good spots. But that aside, there was there was not really much in this for me. Uh, this this would have seemed like a nothing match on a on an episode of Nitro, and well, that doesn't make for a great pay per view match, does it? No. Um... Yeah, you, know, you say, Craig, there were a couple of nice spots. The, the, the bit where Meng backdrops 
Glacier onto Barbarian, who just kind of catches him as dead weight and lifts him up and power bombs him. That's really nice. Um, you know, both of these teams could have a better match in the sense that if they were put in a better position, if there was more build to it. But as it was, it's just a completely dead match. Um, you know, the, the, for for what seems like the fifteenth time, they're going to try and reboot reboot Megan the Barbarian, but they never. They never seem to push them consistently. They never really seem to give them any kind of storyline. They're just fodder. Um, even when they win, um, just doesn't work. Very forgettable. Not bad, but 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 very forgettable. We move on next to Disco Inferno versus Perry Saturn with Raven and the rest of his flock for the WCW Television Title. Disco comes out. He's giving it the beans to his dance music. Perry Saturn comes out via the front row, and Raven has his back. We're in the second ring. Saturn's music is just a big air raid siren. The match starts and Disco is sat in the raving position in the corner, which I quite like. Saturn starts with a takedown and a fireman carry. Disco hits a couple of slams and a right arm. He looks happy with himself. Saturn recovers on the outside and looks pretty stunned. Saturn gets back in and escapes to the floor again. A lap of all three ting- uh, rings would take quite a while, but thankfully they don't do it. Saturn gets back in with a big kick and a clothesline. He then hits a big gut wrench throw. He misses a second rope minsault. Disco hits a clothesline for a two, but the fans aren't really into Disco at all. Saturn hits a sit-out backslide pin. I'm not sure I've seen that before. Disco gets crotched on the top rope. Saturn hits a crossbody and both tumble to the floor. Disco goes after Kimmon and another member of Raven's flock. He hits a chart buster, which is their name for a stunner, onto Kimmon, but gets blocked by going after Van Hammer, and Saturn regains control. Back in the ring, Disco hits a swinging neck breaker for a near fall. Probably the closest he's going to get here. Disco hits a crossbody. Saturn rolls over it, locks in his rings of Saturn submission, which is basically like a double arm bar, uh, and Saturn retains his TV title. Quick story of the chart buster. Apparently, WCW were annoyed at Mark Merrow stealing uh, Dallas Page's diamond cutter, so they've given the stunner to Disco Inferno for what that's worth. Uh, Craig, what do you think of this? I've never ever been much of a fan of uh, Disco Inferno, uh, so this match really was nothing until uh, Saturn got going. I didn't think uh, I like Saturn. I, th- I think his uh, offense looks pretty solid, and uh, I certainly wouldn't like to be put in the rings of Saturn. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, pretty average. Uh, but yeah, uh, Saturn uh, from the Saturn hold this up a bit, but from a pretty low position, largely because of this goal. Dad. Uh, I was thinking that Raven and Saturn could be quite a good tag team until you've, I heard the news about Bischoff trying to dissolve the tag team. So that's always a good sign. Uh, well, to be fair, that's yeah. exactly the kind of tag team he might form. The idea is he wants to get rid of the names and the, the guys that only wrestle as tag teams. He wants to move towards a tag division where you might see Raven and Saturn as tag champions. So you might get your wish. Uh, we'll see. I like to think so. Uh, I thought that, that you know they had a night match on Nitro, which was basically a Saturn squash um, to actually take the title. But I thought there's too much of a correction. I thought Disco Inferno got too much here, um, especially because his offense is generally kind of boring and kind of light. Um, and I kind of got annoyed that Saturn was fighting the match after he after Disco basically basically did nothing to him. Um, and also, I, I don't know whether his knees still you know, troubling him after kind of rupturing it in, in ECW with the Eliminators, but he still looks, you know, he's limited the minute with what he can do just now. He's still good, you know, he's still popping some good suplexes and that lovely um, 
kind of springboard crossbody he did. Um, but I still don't think we have seen the best of Saturn, and I just worry that we might be um, giving him too much to do just now. I know we obviously want to feature him because he's a bloody good worker and he's he's one of your new signings, but I, I worry that because he's now got a title, he's got to be on Nitro every week defending in this belt or at least be in the picture, and it's not going to do his knee any favours at all. Um, but yeah, the, the, the less I see of just going further, the better. I just think I don't get involved with him at all. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can get, you know see Staten featured, but not as uh, not as wrestling as as much in this high impact style that he does. Well, I don't know the exact situation, but I know we mentioned it probably in last month's news that apparently Saturn's deal is like a ninety day rolling contract where they have the right to cancel it within 90 days if his knee goes so it's possible his knee's already gone and he's just trying to work through the pain um, but yeah it's quite noticeable that he's struggling a bit um, this was fine um, you know it's it's again there's, there's a lot of match on here that are just completely cold um, and Saturn's a guy I think you're really going to have to build from the ground up um, it's not even like ECW fans are necessarily going to recognise him like this um you know, that's going to be interesting. Speaking of ECW, apparently there's a a bit of a comparison being made between Saturn's wrestling style here and Taz from ECW. Um, I don't know explicitly whether Taz is the one with the problem, but I know people have drawn that comparison. Saturn's been working WCW now, and he's throwing a lot of suplexes. He's doing a, you know, he's doing a submission that's somewhat similar to the Taz mission. Uh, I don't know whether there's anything to that. I didn't watch Perry Saturn instinctively and think he's trying to copy Taz. Certainly, in a lot of senses, he's not. Um, but an interesting little kind of comparison point that certainly seems to have been brought up, whether it's... Uh, whether it's anything to do with Taz or not, I don't know. But that was okay. Uh, this goes a bit hot and cold, I think, in terms of, you know, he's a, a lower-card comedy act. Um, he's very one-dimensional, works in certain spots, but I, he's not, you know... He's only the right guy to put with Perry Saturn in the sense that he cannot least beat... Uh, Saturn cannot least beat him. I suppose that's that. Gino Clint is joined by the Giant with a strapped-up thumb, a broken thumb, rather, after what Hall did to him on Nitro. He says he may not be able to hit the choke slam, but he can still throw people over the top. This is my spot, if you want to call it that. Next up, it's Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono versus Ultimo Dragon. If Dragon wins, he gets five minutes against Sonny Ono, but his arm is strapped up. Sorry, just those are two separate sentences. His arm is still strapped up. That wasn't a stipulation. Dragon dominates the early goings. Nagata recovers on the floor. Then Dragon goes after Ono. Ono gets some shots in. Dragon shapes for a suplex, but Nagata cuts him off. After a Dragon crossface, Nagata lays down. Dragon uh, lays down Dragon with a couple of big kicks. Slowest going so far. After another rest hold, Dragon hits a belly to back suplex and attempts to halt the slide. More kicks and a clamor clutch, and it's all Nagata so far. Nagata goes for an armbar on Dragon's injured arm, but Dragon struggles to the ropes. Dragon rallies with a series of kicks, a series of brutal kicks on the deck, even if he has just decided to stop selling. He does these quite cool kicks in the corner, where he basically just pushes his foot over Nagata's face. Dragon drops to the floor, catches a kick from Nagata and hits a lovely leg whip. Dragon hits a sunset flip powerbomb off of the top for the first decent near fall of the match. A moonsault, another two. Dragon slips in a dragon sleeper. Nagata passes out, but Ono distracts the ref. Quite the ref got distracted, I've got no idea. Dragon hits a Frankensteiner from the top. Ono puts Nagata's foot on the ropes. 
Oh boy, this finish. Dragon picks up Nagata in a belly to back position, uses Nagata to knock Ono off of the apron, then they collapse in a pinning position. The refs kind of counts four. I know they do the whole thing where they like to slide in, but it looked like one. Uh, but still, Nagata wins the match by pinfall after what, what basically was a four count. Down. what do you think of this? Uh, this was, for me, the first real disappointment of the card. We have got, on, pa- well, on paper, what most people think is the best worker in WCW right now in Dragon, taking on the match. I actually kind of invested him because he has been facing Ono for quite a while now, and the fact that he might actually be able to get some time with him alone in the ring made me think this could be the end of the feud between him and Ono. Um, and yeah, that these guys had a good match last uh, month at uh, Halloween Havoc, so I'm thinking, ah, here we go, this is going to be quite good. And then Nagata decides to slow everything down to a crawl. He is, his offense was so boring. So many submission holes. He quieted the crowd down too much. And they just lost interest. And I lost interest halfway through the match. And you've got a match of Ultimo Dragon in here. That's, a, that's criminal. Um, and not only that, you've got a guy who has got strapping on his elbow. You won the last match last month with a Fujimura armbar. And it works over the fucking neck. It makes no sense from a psychology point of view. And it's kind of like, the, the, you've got such a simple story there to tell and he just told the wrong story. Um, as, soon as, as soon as Dragon got into control of the match in terms of getting offense in or making the offense Nagata took look good, he was his usual excellent self. I mean, the face wash in the corners, fantastic. The moonsault, the crossbody, the Dragon Sleeper all looked good. Um... But yeah, and the finish, I don't, I don't know who was in control of that, but it was terrible. I'm not sure why. They, did, they couldn't do the clean finish they did last month either, but yeah, really disappointing from uh, from last month especially. Um, and it's, I don't know what you think about this, but it seems to me that Dragon is losing quite a lot recently. I don't know if they think he's Teflon and that he's such a good wrestler that he's going to be over all the time, but I, I get the sense his reactions are getting a lot quieter to what they were, say, in June, July time, um, when he was really at the, hot, at the peak of his, 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 uh, his powers. So, yeah, really disappointment match and a really disappointing booking decision as well. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I, 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 I just don't get the sense they value Dragon that highly. I think it's a mistake, but, you know, I, I think they, that they believe him to be mid-card or they believe him to be Rey Mysterio, really. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think both guys have got plenty more that places they can go. Craig, what do you think? It's difficult to, to sort of add add much more. I'd, I'd certainly agree with the the psychology was wild with the lack of focus in the arm. I, I totally agree there. Uh, and yeah, the, the pace as well. Just why they they slowed. Just why they changed the the formula. Uh, I know you can't sort of just do the same match time and time again, but they didn't need to change so much. And yeah, just sort of it's just really quite quite flat. And then obviously that finish was uh, was uh, completely terrible. So yeah, uh, like you were saying, this is another one that felt like a letdown for me. Could have could have been much much more than this. Yeah, um, I don't really know what they they're doing with Dragon. As I kind of said, like. To me, Dragon's one of the guys you could really showcase, and they just haven't. Um, you know, particularly as he lost the match last month, I kind of figured, well, they'll win it back. And I know they had more than one false finish in this match where Dragon, you know, basically won the match all but in name. Um, but you don't, you know, whether, whether you're quote unquote protecting guys or not, if you really have 
plans for Dragon, he wins here. In fact, he probably wins last month too. It's a bit like Mysterio. I just booked Mysterio by having him win loads of matches. Um, this isn't that. And it's no surprise that Dragon's reaction is dropping off because one, they don't showcase him that much. And two, he doesn't win all that often. Um, you know, it's just... Uh, He's just one of those guys in amongst a list of guys. Um, the finish was pretty awful. I mean, you know, nothing quite on Mongo and Wright from last month, but it was still pretty awful. Um, and yeah, I, I'd agree. This was probably the the first of perhaps three matches that were probably uh, underwhelmed. But there we are. We want next the Blue Bloods. Steve Regal and Dave Taylor versus the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott with Ted DiBiase for the WCW Cruiserweight titles. We're in a slightly odd situation where the Bayface team have a manager but not the heels. Scott flattens Taylor with a shoulder tackle, then a double underhook suplex. The Brits clear the ring, Steiner's do some barking, and Ted DiBiase goes them on the floor. We get a test of strength. Regal bridges and fights out of it, but Rick just goes back to work in the arm. Scott hits Regal with a belly-to-belly suplex. Regal, the illegal man, kicks Scott in the back as he hits the ropes. Taylor sends him over the top as Regal pulls down the top rope. Regal comes off of the ropes. Scott hits a belly-to-belly and tries to find a hot tag. We get the Steiner tag team bulldog. That looks really nice. And the Steiners pick up the t- clean win. Craig? Uh, <clears throat> again, uh, pre- pretty standard formula, I thought. Here, uh, I quite liked uh, the the work of Regal throughout this. I thought he really got the the crowd really in, interested in him uh, and got a great heel reaction. But yeah, it was it was just a it felt a little bit like a slightly longer than usual uh, squash match from the Steiners, to be honest. Yeah, uh, kind of again felt like a longer Nitro match, really, and then. Um, <coughs> Scott and Rick, you know, they did the whole greatest hits thing with the suplexes. Um, they got the majority of the offense in, which is a little bit weird considering they were the faces. Um, if anything, I thought the most interesting factor was this: uh, they're in their they're in their hometown, and they didn't get that much of a reaction, which I guess was the main reason why they won the card in the first place. Because um, you know, the Bluebirds hadn't really been built up at all um, beforehand. Um, and I just assumed that it was mainly because they thought, okay, the Steiners are in their hometown, they'll get the crowd hot, and then they'll just get up another routine defence. But they barely got any reaction at all. And I don't know whether that's because the crowd were just rubbish, um, which does happen when you get like a popular product. You get mainly guys that are coming there to see the big stars rather than the actual wrestling. But it was just, again, another their match. You know, I thought it was just an elongated Nitro match, which isn't good considering we've had four matches so far, and none of them have been any good, to be honest. Yeah, it was a squash match on a pay-per-view. Won it pretty much, um, you know, a formulaic Steiner-type match. I say it was a squash match, but we did get the bit with with Rick selling at one point, which is your Steiner 101 formula, but they're never really in any danger of losing. The Blue Bloods, I mean, Regal's been, been away for a while, and Dave Taylor's barely been featured. They've kind of been put together, but if they've got plans for them, they're going to have to heat them up a bit. Um, yeah, just a very formulaic and uh, quite flat match. Meiji Oakland is joined on the ramp by JJ Dillon. He says this may be Raven's last match with WCW as he's not signed a contract. So next up it's Scotty Riggs uh, versus Raven with Sam Kidman, etc. Kidman gets on the mic. He says it's no DQ or no fight. Riggs outs the stat by doing a dive onto all of them on the outside and he's wearing an eye patch. 
Riggs hits a swinging net breaker and a splash in the ring. Raven chokes Riggs with a shirt. He then hits a jawbreaker and they both go down. Raven's used to the chair, unfolds it, but Riggs does a drop a toe hold onto it. Riggs then bulldogs Raven onto the chair. This has been almost been one-sided in Riggs' favour. Raven grabs the mic, asks Riggs why he didn't join him and hits him with a GDT. Why didn't you listen to me? I feel your pain. He DDTs him again. And Mickey J does a standing 10 count. Riggs looks like Oli of last month when Gary Goodridge sparked him clean out. There's a cheap plug for our volume 5 from October. And Raven wins by knockout, I guess. Um, Dad, a bit of a, a bit of a non-event, this. Yeah, it was more angle than match, obviously. Um, but yeah, I actually think it was actually quite effective. It's in building up Raven as this, this you know, cult leader that is getting over in WCW, you know, all fair play to him, he is starting to kind of, you know, the crowd are into him as a heel um, and are intrigued by him, which is more than you can say to the majority of this card um, Riggs is, is, is not there as in terms of wrestler so, you know, making a garbage match makes sense um, and although Raven is a very compelling character, his wrestling isn't good at all so the match itself was just there, but in terms of an angle, I think it was actually kind of effective. Craig? Uh, I'd agree with the, the angle aspect, but I didn't feel that the crowds weren't really that into this at all, other than maybe the cheer spots. Uh, but yeah, a, a effective angle. I quite like that they're doing something with, with Raven that's not your sort of... Uh, as you would expect, way of, of booking them, which would presumably be having them join the NWO or something like that. So I quite like what they're doing with uh, with Raven and his flock. Interesting to see how that goes. Interesting to see the sort of calibre of guys that that are there. But yeah, there's there's a lot to admire about Raven, but I'm not entirely convinced you can add his in-ring work to that list. No, you definitely can't. We've seen uh, we've seen enough of him over the last few years to say that. Um, yeah, th- there's intrigue with the with the Raven stuff, but, you know, and I think by the end of the month, they're in a few, you know, it looks like they're starting a few against Chris Benoit, which should be something different, even though it is a bit of a waste of Benoit, but the problem is that no one cares about Riggs. You can't build sympathy on a guy no one gives a shit about, and that's the big problem. Um, the match was what it was. Riggs dominated for the most part, and again, you know, you, the crowd are savvy enough to go, well, something's going to happen here. We'll sit on it. Um, and Raven just beat him cleanly. I, 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 well, I guess it's a good time to ask Craig what do you think what they're doing with, with, with Raven just sticking you know, Van Hammer's with them now as he's you know a few other guys Perry Sutton um, Raven's flock it's a, it's a weird angle but uh, I think it's it's probably a better use for a lot of guys than what they'd be doing otherwise hey, yeah no I, I'd agree with that uh, I, I'd be concerned if and whilst like the criticism of NWO is it became watered down with, with jobbers after starting his main eventers you can't say the same about the flock. It's sort of started a little bit lower down than that, but ultimately it is giving giving guys a, a platform. Yeah, I, I find I genuinely find it quite interesting. I can't really think of many other. So I quite like the cult leader type type aspect. I can't really think of uh, much similarity. Uh, so yeah, it, it's reasonably different. Uh, and like you say, I think I think the the big thing is it's having guys do something rather than just being. Uh, jobbers and getting squashed left, right and centre. So yeah, it's, it's adding a little bit of, of meaning to it, but it's clearly a vehicle for for the company to get over Raven, which which I, I, I'm behind. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like it, uh, but I'm, I'm, I hope they don't spoil it, but it is WCW. 
that? It's caveat. It's WCW. Why, why are we getting involved in this at all? Um, I'm actually really a big fan of this, to be honest. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't say he's a, I said cult leader, but I think actually a better way of saying it, it's like a, it's like you're, you're an addict sponsor where he comes in and, and he finds all these misfits. You have something wrong with them and he just comes and goes, come with me and I'll look after you, don't worry. But then once they get hooked in, they find out that he's an absolute prick. And I think that's just so unique in, in particularly in WCW, where it's just basically just the NWO or you've got no character at all. Um, and if, if, they are, if the end goal in this is getting Raven to that standard where, you know, when you know, Hogan or the you know, faces are looking for someone to feud with outside of NWO, Raven at the minute is a big candidate. I mean, he's, 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 he's got the character that makes you get invested in his feuds, which is what I look for in wrestling, you know? Um, and if it means that we're going to get guys like Saturn and Van Hammer and Kidman and, and I'm assuming, Riggs more invested and more involved in storylines, I think that makes sense. It's just a good-looking decision. Um, but, yeah, I think right now I think Raven is one of the most interesting aspects in, in the company right now, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, and something interesting that's not NWO as well, as you say. Um, you know, it's... You know, I, I'm not. You know, that's that's going to be some. Of it is going to be about in-ring work, and Raven's not that. Um, some of it's going to be about a caliber of opponent, and it's also whether WCW are capable of telling a storyline like this. We've seen them try it with the the Dungeon of Doom a couple of years ago, and I don't know if that was a runaway success. Um, you know, whether they're capable of telling this kind of story with this kind of act, I don't know. But we'll, we'll give them credit for trying, and I guess we'll find out. We want next to Steve McMichael versus Goldberg. Mongo grabs the mic and says this isn't going to be how this isn't going to go how people think it is going to go. He tells him to send a car backstage and on the video wall, Goldberg is sparked out. <coughs> Mongo was carrying a lead pipe in the ring. Out comes Deborah and she's dragging out Alex Wright. So it said it's Steve McMichael versus Alex Wright with Deborah. Wright starts attacking Mongo with his jacket, but Mongo quickly gains control. Wright wants to bugger off, but Deborah sends him back. Wright comes off of the top, uh, off the ropes, and Mongo comes and he sends it down to the mat. That may have been a miscommunication. Mongo takes Wright out with a pair of three-point stance tackles. He then hits a tombstone pile driver and takes the match cleanly. Much to my surprise, to a point. In my notes, I've got wasn't right beating Dragon a few months back, but I guess that doesn't mean much either. Dan, what do you think? Why is this match on pay per view? Because so, they promised us Steve McMichael, and they were, God damn it, they were going to give us Steve McMichael, whether it was with Goldberg or not. But he was in the World War Three Battle Royal, they could have fulfilled it otherwise. True. Oh, gee, rubbish, absolute rubbish. I don't know whether Alex Wright was selling that he was unprepared by his terrible performance or whether he was just having a terrible performance. Uh, Mongo is, as, as we've said before, is better, but still limited and quite basic in what he does. Um, so, yeah, if just three minutes of, of my time wasted. Craig? Yeah, I, I, I didn't agree if I... Why is this anywhere near the pay-per-view? If it's all about getting Mongo over as a guy, eh, then that's not something I ever want to see, but at least save it for, for TV. Yeah, a waste of three minutes as well. Yeah, nothing more to add. Just not good. Um, yeah, let's move on. Ray Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero for the WCW Cruiserweight title. The fans are behind Mysterio from the outset. Mysterio counts the belly-to-back suplex with an arm drag, sending Guerrero to the floor. 
Eddie isn't happy with an apparent hair pull. Hess is a down from Mysterio. Guerrero then takes him down to the head with hands of his own. Guerrero hits a release German suplex and then a belly to back. Mysterio shakes for a power on the floor. Eddie blocks it by holding the ropes and hits a lovely backbreaker. We head to the top. Eddie hits a superplex. Mysterio hits Hurricane Rana for a near fall and then Guerrero just smashes him with a flapjack. Match flattens out for a bit. Eddie actually stops doing the suplex because the fans start chanting, Eddie sucks. Guerrero goes for a suplex on the floor. Mysterio counts as a hurricane run and there's a running senton splash over the top to the floor. Mysterio hits the spinning moonstop while the top rope for a near fall. He then takes the run up at Guerrero, but Guerrero pants it with a powerbomb. Eddie goes for a gory special, drops Mysterio into a pinning position. Mysterio then gets lifted over Guerrero's shoulders and almost takes it with a sunset flip. Guerrero sets for a running powerbomb. Mysterio slips out of it. I suspect they fucked something up there. Mysterio hits a moonsault for a st- on the standing Guerrero with a springboard guillotine leg drop. Mysterio hits Hurricane Rana off of the top, rolls it up into a pin, but Guerrero grabs the ropes in spite of a three count. Guerrero goes on top. Mysterio takes Rap and Guerrero collects him and drops him over the top. Guerrero hits a frog splash and it's all over. Crowd are pretty flat for all that. Dan, what do you think? Uh, this is the second disappointment of the night for me, um, but I, I want to make it clear before I go on here, I still think this is a very, very good match. However, after what they did last month and how picture-perfect the wrestling was, you do know that they can capture magic in a bottle, and when they don't, you do feel a little bit disappointed, and you do feel a little bit flat. And that's, that's, maybe, you, that's maybe my fault, going in there with such high expectations, but... And I think the announcers were going there with such high expectations because, you know, Bobby the Brain, he knew the one he's before going, you're going to see moves in here that you've never seen before. This is going to be amazing. And it was still good, but it wasn't quite on the level. I mean, Ray missed a couple of spots, um, you know, a couple of times they just missed communication and it just didn't flow particularly well. Um, there's still good stuff in this match. There's a lovely running moonsault from Ray, a beautiful guillotine leg drop. Eddie Guerrero is a star, as a heel. He, he's, he's a everyone hates him. He's playing to the crowd. He's this greasy rat that you just want to you just want to pull his hair and, and cut it cut his hair off that awful mullet. Um, there, but you know, in comparison to last month, um, and that kind of makes you feel a little bit down after the match. Um, but yeah, it, it's still very good. It just wasn't up to the sound of last month, and that makes you feel a little bit down. Craig? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do, I'd agree with much of that. It, it was a good match, uh, but like I said at the at the start of the show, it's just we've seen them having better ones. Uh, it's, yeah, the, the, there were some nice moments, but there was also some moments that you sort of... There was, there was a couple of quite noticeable botches and a couple of mistakes, so I don't think either of them brought the the A game. Uh, I, I guess like earlier on, we were sort of uh, t- yeah talking about how we've sort of seen them having better matches. So I quite, I quite admire that they've they've tried not to just replicate the uh, previous ones that they've had and try to do something a bit different. But yeah, I just don't think it it, it gelled. I don't yeah, it just didn't just didn't work. Simple as that, really. Yeah, um, I'd agree with the sense, but it certainly wasn't as good as last month. Um, it didn't have the drama, I don't think it quite flowed as well. Um, the spots are probably not 
dissimilarly as impressive. I guess it is just one of those things where last month was so good for a lot of reasons, and one of which was they were able to build a, a compelling story in around some really exciting moves. This was just kind of some exciting moves. Um, didn't quite have the edge of last month, still very, very good. Both these guys are still very good. Um, I just don't know that I'd have been jumping at the opportunity to do this match again so soon. I'd have perhaps saved it for something that... that uh, that meant a bit more, and the crowd, I think, felt that way too. The, they weren't all over this match, certainly like they were last month, and the, the, the finish, the reaction for the finish was uh, was quite flat. I mean, I, I do wonder whether, given how late they changed the, the finish last month, whether it was like, okay, well, Ray won't lose his mass, but we still we still owe Guerrero a win, which is why they did the match again. Um, but yeah, not great, but good. Very Certainly the best match of the night, but um, not, the, uh, not the standards we perhaps expect from these two. We get a really nice video promo for Sting versus Hogan. It's like Sting at the top of this haunted tower while it's pissing it down with rain and lightning. Up next, it's Kurt Heading versus Ric Flair in a no disqualification match for the WCW United States title. Flair starts with chops on the outside and they go into the crowd. Heading knocks him off some scaffolding, a camera is set upon. Heading goes to get a cable and strangles Flair with it. Some of it's some of it is the three ring layout, really skewing the viewing focus, but the crowd are very flat so far. Flair comes off at the top and it's a double axe handle and heading to the floor. Flair goes down, clutching his knee. I assume he's selling. Heading goes to cover Flair in the ring. Flair kicks out at two and then Heading just pokes referee Randy Anderson in the eye. Heading goes to work in a leg. He then works a submission before Flair pokes him in the eye. If you're playing the WCW drinking game, you can drink here as Mike Sinead mentions Ric Flair's injury after being in a plane crash. As he says that, Heading does, throws him off at the top and Flair does his kind of back bump where he lands on his side, which always looks horrendous. Not back bumps particularly look any better, I suppose. Both men tired, but not a great deal is happening. We drop to the floor, Heading drops Flair's head off of the ring steps. Flair then sends Heading into the guardrail. What is this, ECW? They unfold the chair in the ring. Flair does at a tight drop, putting Heading's legs through the gap in the chair. Flair then kicks it twice, which gets a big reaction. Flair gets another chair and starts attacking Heading's leg. Flair puts Heading in the figure four. Heading then hits him twice with the belt. Flair gets knocked out. Heading covers him and wins the match. Craig? Of all the matches I was uh, really looking forward to uh, on this show, this for me is the, the biggest disappointment. Uh sort of expect a really, really great match but in the end it just felt like both guys were phoning this in uh, it just yeah, none, of them, none of them seemed to just get going, it, it was 20 minutes and it was there, there was some alright stuff here and there, but the feud between the pair since uh, Henning got inducted into the Horseman and then uh, turned has been really solid but yeah, this was just a massive, massive disappointment Dan I'd echo Craig. I think this was the biggest disappointment of the night. Night. I thought this was shite. Uh, it was slow. There was no big spots in this until the last minute. Um, if you compare this to the other like gold standards of no DQ brawling, which was Sullivan against Benoit, it was they basically meant to stay all of it in the ring. Like how you know you got no DQ if you are slowing down and you're not as um, you know ring sharp as you were before. You've got all the excuses now to do bells and whistles with you know with with brawling spots and didn't they just did a generic standard Henning Flair match with working over body parts and they made you know and it just didn't fit the story then the feud I thought this was going to be a real drag out brawl and it wasn't anywhere close to that you know the selling was fine and I think they were going for more of a kind of fight feel that 
you know, kind of flair funk style back in the day, but it, it was too slow. There wasn't enough high spots to get the crowd invested. Um, and they're just not the same guys they were four years ago, which is a shame, but I think WCW gave them every chance to get a good match out of here and they don't, and they didn't deliver. Yeah, not for the first time either. I don't think last month was all that good either. Um, this was not any better. They, they were put in the semi-main. Uh, you know, they had really all the opportunity they needed. As you say, down, they had the no-DQ stipulation so they could use all the smoke and mirrors that they liked, not they particularly did. Um, and yeah, it's it comes back to what I said in, well, August, September. Kurt Henning just is not a name. He's, you know, they, they they brought him in and it was like, it's Kurt Henning. Okay. You know, we can't call him Mr. Perfect. Not that I think that's a big problem. It's just Kurt Henning in 97 just is not that good anymore. Rick Flair in 97 is just not that good anymore. Um, and I think the crowd have cottoned on to that. Um, you know, again, it, it does, you know, I said this, I haven't said it for a while, but I said this a lot kind of end of last year, early this year. Being in the NWO does not make you. You know, it it doesn't. You know, wearing those colours does not mean you are a star. It does not mean you are over. It's why one of the reasons why I think they they made quite a big mistake putting so many guys in the NWOs that it kind of it didn't elevate the guys they moved in. It kind of just devalued the name a little. Unless you're Scott Hall or Kevin Nash or to an extent Six or Hulk Hogan, just being in the NWO does not mean you're anything. And people just don't care about Henning. And and they put a lot into this view, but as I kind of said last month, I wonder whether they rushed it back. Um, and they're not... These two, I just don't think are capable anymore. It's a shame, but it's the it's the reality of the situation. And I think if we're to talk about of three name matches on this card, Nagata and Dragon, Eddie and Rey Mysterio, and Flair and Eddie, three that all disappointed, I think this one disappointed by far more than most. But, uh, but there we go. It's time for the main event. The winner will face the WCW champion at Super Bowl in February. Here we go. I did not know all of the names now, but I uh, I noted down everyone I could during the introductions live. Anyway, you cop out. Well, there we go. I uh, I still had to watch this match, so you know, there we go. It's Don Dallas Page, Big Bubba, Alex Wright, Disco Inferno, Meng, Viano, Four, Viano, Five, Chris Benoit, Fit Finley, La Parker, Steve Regal, Rocco Rock, Johnny Grunge, Dave Taylor, Ultimo Dragon, Norman Slidey, Louis Piccoli, The Giant, Greg Valentine, Eugene Agata, Chris Jericho, Hooven Two Guerrero, Wrath, Booker T, Stevie Ray, Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, Jim Duggan, Hugh Morris, Lex Luger, Mortis, Barbarian, Eddie Guerrero, Prince IOK, Black Top Bullies back. There we go. Uh, Barry Darso, Ray Mysterio, Steve McMichael, Charles Guerrero Jr., the Renegade, Glacier, a few others I've missed, and the NWO guys who also get their own entrance. Bagwell, Scott Hall, Randy Savage, Kurt Henning, I don't know why Kurt Henning's back so soon, uh, Virgil, uh, maybe, and apparently Kevin Nash, although he is injured. So, just one announced team this year, and in my, in my notes I've got maybe no three-way split screen. No, fuck, it's back. Of course it is. Giant's just cleaning up at the moment. The split screen quickly goes away as we focus on his ring. I'll let you know when anything of note get, anyone of note gets eliminated, but know that people are getting eliminated. Seems like nobody is attacking the NWO again, or their guys are in the first ring. Things are happening, I guess. Fans seem to be reacting to Jim Duggan more than anyone else. And five minutes have gone by and nothing has happened. Stop the presses. The Renegade has been eliminated. 1995 called and wants its joke back. Scott Hall almost got eliminated. The NWO had to pull him back in. Page and Benoit go over the top but both get back in the ring. 
But Warabalenko going the same 60 seconds. The numbers whittle down. Hennigan Benoit pushes Stereo out, but Stereo clings onto the apron and he doesn't seem to hit the floor. Giant back body drops Mortis and right to the floor. The numbers are whittling down. In ring number three, we're actually down to two people, so he finally gets some watchable action as Giant then eliminates Meng, so he's left on his own. The NWO, shockingly, are all left in ring number one, and we're left with Giant, Luger, Page, Booker T and Rick Steiner against Savage, Henning, Bagwell, Vincent and Scott Hall. They're kind of dilly and dally for a while, and then the NWO go the faces back into ring number one. Page hits Vincent with a diamond cutter. Giant rolls him under the bottom ropes because apparently this match you can't be eliminated by going under the ropes as well as over them. Rick Steiner gets eliminated and we're down to Bagwell, Savage, Hall and Henning of the NWO and Giant, Page and Luger. At least this time WCW seems to be working together. All four NWO guys try to eliminate Luger. Giant dumps Bagwell over the top. Henning and Luger both go down and we're left with Page and Giant against Savage and Hall. Savage comes off of the top. Giant catches him, but Sarish rakes the eye to avoid elimination. Page hits a diamond cutter onto Sarish for the biggest pop of the show. Page wants to roll Sarish under the ring, but Giant blocks Page during it and wants to hit a chokeslam. The announcers quite rightly say it's not worth the effort, but they eliminate him anyway. And we're down to three. It's Page and Giant versus Scott Hall. Hall retreats into ring number two, and then does these kind of side points in the aisle way, which in theory should be for Kevin Nash. But no, it's Hulk Hogan fighting for the chance to face, well, himself in February. I'd be intrigued to see that, if nothing else, just to find out who would go over. It's Hogan and Hall versus Giant and Page. Hogan body slams Giant because, well, why not? And also because he's significantly fresher. Hogan then eliminates Page. In drops Sting, except it's clearly Kevin Nash, like, cause, because Sting is not 6'10". Uh, this is excellent. Nash repels in from the ceiling. Hogan eliminates himself, Sting, or Nash hits Giant with a baseball bat and Giant falls over the top. Scott Hall wins the match, Nash takes off the Sting mask to reveal a shit-eating grin. And the show finishes with Hogan doing a diamond cutter to Dallas Page, which is probably more interesting than anything Hogan's done in ring for about 12 months. Uh, Dad, what do you think of all this? Okay, so I'll go through the good stuff first. Uh, I liked the final four. Uh, selections with DDP kind of winning at last of a savage and uh, the Giants looked good as always because it's always good to let the big man look strong and uh, that's about it uh, the bad stuff I won't go over all the, the, the booking things that you've pointed out in previous Battle Royals Bob because that's just repeating but A why did no one tell the talent that they could go under the ring because everyone was trying to eliminate people over the top rope until the last minute Two, why is there no video replays? Because there were so many good stories, well, good stories happening from the majority of the other rings, you know, like um, Harlem Heat, you know, doing quite well as a tag team, Rey Mysterio's uh, exploits trying not to be eliminated, and then none of them are picked up ever again. Uh, they would just go back to the ring and go, oh, they've gone. What happened there? Um, and yeah, split screens just make it really difficult to see. Um, and, ah, oh, Kevin Nash. I, I, don't, I don't mind that, um, and I liked the fact that Tony Schiavone at least was going, uh, maybe that's not actually Sting, when he steps over the top rope, like, um, it's World War Three Battle Royal, what more can you say? It's just 20, 28 minutes of your life that is just basically not interesting for the first 25, and then you have to watch the NWO win again, you know? It's, it's, it's not compelling wrestling action. And it's something that you just have to go through to what to get to the end of it. And it's 
not interesting for the majority of the past, and I got bored quite quickly. Craig? Uh, I, th- I think I think part of the problem is caused by the fact that they have 60 men in there, and it's 1997, and you've seen people like Barry Darso and Greg the Hammer Valentine. So, yeah, it's it, you've got a lot of filler in there, and then you're just waiting, and you know it's going to happen for all that filler to be thrown out. And then it, it, it comes down to the bit that you want to see. But unfortunately, this time around, they did that terrible, terrible finish. The, the fans, the, WCW basically asked the fans to, to invest in this match through the rubbish stuff to get to the <coughs> main event finish. And then, and then they spoiled that by having a near seven foot sting uh, descend into the ring. Yeah, I, pretty grim stuff. Apparently now Hall's got a, a title shot and yeah, Hogan's wanting to have be his own number one content. Yeah, it's just it's just that whole sort of we're the NWO, it's we're we're having everything type thing and yeah, terrible, terrible finish. Yeah, um whether this was any better or any worse than previous battle rules with the the, the three ones I, I don't really know, I'm not really sure it matters. Um you know they the Royal Rumble can work because it's one ring and you have people coming in and you can develop stories over the course of a over the course of a thirty sixty minute however long you want to do it. Um, you start with sixty guys in the ring and don't be surprised that nothing sticks for the first twenty minutes because nobody can follow anything that's going on. There's so many guys in so many different rings you can't really focus on any one story. Um, it's three times now, guys. This is just a bad concept. You know, I know the. It's we've had this discussion about stuff like scaffold matches before. Like you can do it once, but then once people see it, it's like there's there's no need to do it again. Um, that being said, most of my issues with last year surrounded the booking of the last five minutes. Um, I thought they got this around and about right. Um, the the booking towards the end, like we were left with probably the right ten guys. I still got issues with. You know, the fact the NWO can survive despite the fact in theory that the 55 WCW guys should be against them. But they got down to the final 10. WCW were working together against the NWO and they picked them off. They got the numbers gained and out comes Hogan, which was a, a necessary step in the story. The Nash thing dressed as Sting. All right, it didn't work in the sense that Nash doesn't particularly look like Sting, but it worked in the sense they executed something quite well. I think Scott Hall's a good winner. Um, Craig, I, you know, I think that's going to be an important thing is that yeah, we talk, you talk about the booking of the end here, and you might be right in, certain, in terms of how they got there, but Hall sets up for, you know, they're talking about Hall having a championship shot, Craig, but it'll be him against potentially Sting in February, but also lies at the possibility that he could face Hogan as a, as a babyface, or potentially Hogan as a babyface. Um, I think in the sense of who won it, they got it just about right. Uh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. There is uh, certainly a lot of different uh, avenues they can they can go down. I mean, do, does it sort of does it set up a little bit of dissension in the NWO if Hogan's the champion and Nash is the number one contender? Does that does that cause issues? Uh, does does Hogan turn babyface? Is it Hall versus Sting? Yeah, you're right. There's there's a, a whole lot that that they can do uh, do with this. I hope they don't just turn it into some sort of 
cheesy overblown NWO style joke segment. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think they can seriously do something uh, with this. It's it's quite interesting. There's no doubt in that, that Hall is a sort of in WCW, uh, unlike in WWE, uh, a main event talent. So yeah, no, I'm I, yeah, I, I think that. Whilst the finish wasn't great, the the actual person he picked to go over uh, was the correct decision. Perhaps the only correct decision he made in the match. Dan, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm, I, the, the, what you've described there, Bob, is very sensical, logical booking decisions. Um, and judging by what we know from backstage and actually crowd reactions, or the national basis of the NWO, Hogan is the bad guy of the NWO. Then that could lead into a, you know, kind of into intergroup war, which would be interesting. However, I can't remember who won it in nineteen ninety five. Was it the was it, it was, the giant in No, it was Hogan, wasn't it, I think? No, because Hogan um got rolled out of the ring, didn't he? And no, it was Savage. It was Savage, wasn't it? Because um Hogan went out the ring and then did the whole kind of like you saw me go into the rope? No I didn't. Yes you did, pantomime. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, I remember that now. Yeah. 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 But the point I'm making is that WCW don't seem to make a big deal out of this. You know, Savage won it, and then I, we struggled to remember it, and that's how much of an influence it was. Uh, the Giant won it in 1996, but I didn't really do a lot with his title one either. It was just sort of like a, a quick face turn, and that was it. Um, so, and considering how much time they invested in the Sting angle, you know, you'd like to think that they would do something with, with maybe the rematch that sold out with Hogan against Sting. Yeah, cause, and then, sorry to cut you off, Dan, but Savage won the title that night, didn't he? That's starting to ring a bell now. Or did Giant? Yes, you're right. He did. Yeah. No, think, no, it was. He did, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, mm. And yeah, no, I know what you mean, though. That they, you know, they, they did the thing last year with the Giant, and he got a title shot, and they kind of hummed and on about it, and then he got it sold out. God knows that show. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I think if you're going to try and make a deal out of this Battle Royal thing and make it mean something, um, that Scott Hall match needs to be a big match, and he might need to win it. I mean, you know, I don't know. I you know, Sting should win next month, and maybe you don't want to have Hall win the title two months after Sting's won it. Um, you know, but they they should make a big deal out of that kind of match. But I, I think, as as we say, the the usual issues with the the the, the World War Three main event still existed, but unlike previous years, I think they booked it just about right. So that's the that's the positive, uh, and that will wrap up the conclusion of. Uh, I'll pay for your review. Dan, you can give us a score rating out of 10 and your overall thoughts. Yeah, so as I said, really disappointed from the three matches that you would expect it to be good going into it. I think there's only one good match on the card, which was Eddie and Ray, and that was obviously not as good as last month. Um, as, as someone who hasn't seen a World War Battle 3 before, it was incredibly annoying for, I'd say, 85% of it. Don't um, watch any of the other two. Don't waste your time with those. Well, yeah. Well, considering that you think this is the best one, I'm not going to go back and watch two worse. Um, so, yeah, a really, really poor show for mine. I'm going to give it a two. Well, there was, I think it was last year, there was the one where Lee Marshall took a bump. Um, but that, I don't know. Craig, your overall thoughts on this show, and as we've asked before, a score rating out of ten, please. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying the scoring uh, system uh, on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I look at on it on paper. This uh, this looked all right, and then there were some changes. There was obviously the no no Goldberg. Uh, there, there were matches there, uh, like the one featuring uh, Ultimo Dragon uh, and the Flair uh, 
Hennig and Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero matches that should on paper have, have been good, but they they disappointed. There were several matches that you knew were going to be disappointing and never really got going. So I would probably give this. Uh, I was going. I was going to say a, a four, uh, but after talking through this for the last hour, I'm I'm going to reduce that to a three. Yeah, I'm at a three as well. Uh, it's not a horrendous show. Like we're not in the depths of, of it being a. It, yeah, um, in the sense there's a lot of very average and very forgettable stuff, but there's not much inherently bad, um, which is pretty low praise, admittedly. Um, yeah, don't write. You know, is there anything worth watching on this show? Probably not. Like, you know, the angle at the end's quite nice for Ciro and Guerrero. He's a good match, just not as good as they've had before. Everything else you can probably skip. I'll uh, I'll split the difference, two and a half out of ten. The NWO come out for the promo to kick things off in Saginaw, Michigan on the World War Three post-show. Eric Bischoff praises Scott Hall for making history by beating 59 other top athletes to win the World War III Battle Royal and says he's next in line for a shot at Hogan's WCW title. Hogan, when you're NWO, you're just too sweet. Hogan says because he's feeling so sweet right now, he's issuing an open challenge for his title tonight. The Giant answers the challenge, but J.J. Dillon says he isn't medically cleared to wrestle because of his injured hand. Giant says he will sign whatever he needs to because he wants a piece of the blonde bomber. JJ says he will draft some paperwork if Giant is willing to weigh WCW of any further damage is done to him, and with that, the match is set. Our only match has the Steiners defending their WCW tag team titles against disorderly conduct. Steiners win quick with a showcase with a Steiner Bulldog on Tough Tom. DVRC yells into the camera that if Hall and Nash want the real belts, they can come and get them. After Nitro Girls welcomes back from commercial, we have Meng taking on Booker T. Booker gets the upset win with a roll-up, but Meng immediately jumps up and locks in the tongue and death grip. Stevie Ray runs down to make the save, Barbarian appears and kicks Stevie into another tongue and death grip to leave both members of the Heat lying. We recap JJ Dillon's ultimatum from Raven for World War 3. Oakland is with Dillon and they head over to Raven. Dillon wants to know why the contract he got back from Reagan had been scribbled on and felt it was unprofessional. Raven said he added his own stipulations to his contract, such as him wrestling when he wants, who he wants, and with no disqualifications, and will get paid whatever he wants. Scotty Ridge brushes past Gene and JJ to sit with the flock to end the segment. Chris Benoit is out for a match initially announced to be Raven. Raven grabs Sick Boy and sends him into the ring to face Benoit instead. Benoit hits a diving headbutt from the top. The Flock storm the ring, but Benoit cuts them all off and submits Sick Boy with a crippler crossface. The Flock rushes the ring again post-match with Saturn nailing Benoit with his TV title and locking in the rings of Saturn as Raven looks on. We get an NWO commercial which consists of Hall and Bischoff intimidating and beating down Larry Zabisco over the last several weeks. Larry has had enough and storms down to the ring and demands Scott Hall accepts his challenge for a fight. The NWO music hits and the arena begins to flood with pages of NWO propaganda falling from the ceiling. The paper shows the photo of Bischoff standing in various, uh, victorious over Zabisco at Halloween Havoc. He comes out belittling Larry for being old, fat and ugly. Larry says if Bischoff thinks he's so tough, why doesn't he accept the challenge? Bischoff accepts the match and they try to go out uh, go after one another but security keep them apart. The NWO kick off the second hour before Prince Ayo carries out to take Alex Wright. 
Wright has control of the match until Deborah gets on the apron to cheer him on. Adrefs apparently gets caught on the turnbuckle, which distracts Wright, who gets hit with a flying crossbody off of the top by OK for the win. After the match, Wright gets on the mic and said he's had it with Deborah and fires her. Disco Inferno is out to take on Randy Savage. Savage gets the quick win after two top rope elbow drops. He hits the third after the match while dumping the ref out of the ring. Elizabeth passes Savage the spray paint and he tags Disco for Elizabeth puts her foot in Disco's chest and Savage counts the three. We get a brief shot of the new WCW Nitro PlayStation game cover before watching a Nitro Party video package. Brad Armstrong takes on Dean Malenko if they have a decent match and nobody in the building seems to care about for Malenko locks in the Texas Cloverleaf for the win. Gino Clint brings out Mongo who laughs about Deborah being fired by Alex Wright. Deborah comes out and says she'll do anything to be back with Mongo. Mongo tells her to get the hell out of there. After a Nitro Girl interlude, Buck Bagwell faces Chris Jericho. They have a solid match with Bagwell in control. Jericho makes a brief comeback before Bagwell cuts him off with a boot to the corner and hits a blockbuster for the pin. We get a brief recap of Henning and Flair from World War 3 with the announcer saying that Flair will be out for a few weeks due to a severe ankle injury. Mike Tenay announces he's putting together a video documentary on Brian Pillman. The profits from the video will go into Melanie Pillman and her family. Kurt Henning is out to defend the US title against Ray Trailer. Henning is stalling and selling a knee injury from last night. Trailer dominates the match while hitting a spinning side slam. He cuts Henning. Trailer looks back at Scott Hall. He's meant to be there to break up the pin, but he's ridiculously late, so Henning has to kick out the slam as Hall is just getting to the ring. Honan, Hall, Conan, Honan, Hall, Conan, Bagwell, Norton, Savage and Elizabeth all went out to the ring to beat Trailer down. Today mentions how Trailer has absolutely no allies. Savage hits another top rope elbow before they tag Trailer with spray paint to end the segment. Into the third hour and it's time for the main event with Hollywood Hogan defending his WCW world title against Giant. Giant is wearing a huge cast on his right hand which Vincent immediately protests to the ref which earns a big shot from the cast. Bischoff and Rick Rude come out to take over the announcer's table. Giant nails Hogan with the cast, sells his bad hand but fights through the pain to hit a chokeslam. Before he can make a cover, Sting comes down from the ring to the ring, sorry, pulls Giant's bad hand under the bottom rope and smashes it with a bat for the DQ. Before lifting up the Sting master reveal it's in fact Kevin Nash. The NWO beat down Giant, breaking the plaster castle, seeing a very heavy Sting dummy descend from the rafters, so heavy in fact that it goes straight through the ring. The NWO beat up the dummy as we go off the air. Okay, um, nothing we need to discuss in the final TV of the month, so we'll jump through to our big discussion point. Uh, we might discuss Giant in a bit as well, but um, only really one place to start. Uh, Craig, obviously, you know, we've had, you know, it's been quite a busy month over the WWF, and we'll have covered the the bulk of the WWF side of it in, in, in that half, but Bret Hart obviously is uh, en route to WCW, as I say, I believe he's debuting next week. Um, the, the, the question, I guess, is, Craig, what do you do with him? Um, WCW are in a position where they're looking at... You know, two live shows next year. They are once again talking about having an NWO-only show. They kind of did a little bit of a tease of that this week on Nitro with a with a main event that was um, announced by Eric Bischoff and Rick Rude. Um, but Craig, where does Bret Hart shake out in all of this? You know, uh, does he make sense in the NWO? Does he particularly make sense outside the NWO? I don't know. If there's a oh, Craig. <laughs> knock over uh, whatever that was. Craig, I, I don't know that there's a, 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 a magic bullet here to Bret Hart. I don't know that there's a, a golden feud or a golden idea for him coming out of the gate. What do you think? 
Uh, apologies, first of all, for the dog knocking over stuff. Uh, all right. Yeah, you uh, haven't got a dog. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. The I'm hoping the uh, NWO stuff's a bit of a ruse because that, that would just be a shame. I think it would be uh, a waste to fold uh, Bret Hart into that. You do have this terrible sneaky suspicion that they are going to waste Bret Hart, but you would think coming off the back of the, his departure from WWF that they should push him to the hilt as the is a is a top top baby face. I mean, whilst uh, in early nineteen ninety seven through to I guess really in the last couple of weeks, the Team Canada versus Team USA stuff's probably been my uh, favourite uh, WWF angle of all time. Uh, but I, I can't see that a Team Canada wouldn't get lost in the shuffle uh, against the sort of with the NWO uh, there and obviously they are. Uh, backstage sway. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping that they come in, capitalise on Bret Hart, and uh, push him to the hilt as a as a as a babyface. I mean, they've got he's got they've got all the momentum behind them coming in. So yeah, you, you can't imagine they're going to screw that up, can you? WCW screwing something up? Never. Um, Dan, what's the? How do you think fans are going to react to Brett in WCW? Yeah, also he's been doing spent six months doing this whole you know anti-America thing in WWF, and you know there's a lot of crossover between fan bases, but it's not whole. Um, what what? Yeah, again, Dan, I guess much more generally, what do you think? I, 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 I personally don't think that's going to affect much. I mean, it's like. You, when you only sign a big player from a, from a rival football team. I don't think you really care that they've, they've been fighting for the other team. You just care that you're with them. Um, so I don't think like the whole anti-America thing is actually going to make much of a difference. The problem I have is that, yes, Bret Hart right now is probably the most talked about name in wrestling right now, and you have to take advantage of it. However, they're tied up. You know, Hogan and Sting, that's been going for so long, and you can't imagine it's going to be a one-and-done deal with, you know, that, that match after Starcade. Scott Hall is now the number one contender. Do you put Bret Hart in with, with Hall as a kind of, like, as, as like the gatekeeper to the NWO? Because I can't see Bret doing NWO. I mean, he's such a, he kind of is such a white me baby face in, in, in the way he talks, and the way he behaves. So I can't imagine he's going to go to the too sweet, you know, cool, cool too cool for school NWO faction, you know? Um, but in terms of, like, the main thing I'm excited for for Bret Hart is that we might actually get some good main event matches in WCW for once. I mean, you know, you've got the creative control side of things as well with, you know, you've got all the NWO main event players basically on it. You've got Flair on it, Piper on it, who's well, kind of forgot that in a minute. Um, and then how are they going to juggle these so many egos? You know, you've, got, you've now added another big piece of the puzzle to kind of juggle around. How are they going to manage that? I don't know. Um, and also, just from a kind of, again, just from purely fan point of view, you've got Ric Flair, you've got Sting, Benoit, Chris Benoit, Bret Hart. That would be a great feud. Kind of, maybe not right now, but down the line, if you want to build Benoit up, Bret Hart surely the perfect guy to do that. I mean, Canadian master versus the up-and-comer, you know? that's the, And the match, actual wrestling match should be fantastic. Um... I'm not as optimistic as, as a lot of people are that Brett will be 
the big guy, you know, into 1998 that some people are thinking, because I can't believe that Hogan, Nash, Hall, and to a lesser extent, some of the, you know, the executives will see the value in a not very good promo kind of type, you know, big in Canadian, big in Canada market that Brett is, that WCW don't really have a presence there. Um, right now, I would put him in with Hall. If that was my, if I was booking WCW, I would be putting him with Scott Hall um, to fight for the right to face the WCW title um, person at Super Bowl. Um, that would be my choice, but I'm sure they'll have something different up their sleeves. Yeah, I mean, tell the truth, I, I don't know whether they've got a clue whether they're going with him yet. Um, you know, obviously, it, it came together, not instantly, but it came together quickly. Um, and the way they've presented it on television this month, so, you know, they've done the whole thing with Izzy and the NWO, and I guess you don't want to overcomplicate the story before he's arrives. But I feel like they, if they had more of a plan, they might have signposted it a bit more by now. Um, and there's no immediately obvious fit for him. Like, I don't feel like Bret Hart's a great fit inside the NWO. I don't feel like he's a great fit outside of the NWO, because then he's just another guy. Um, but yes, as you say, like, it is a it is a golden ticket to potentially... You know, we're, we could be talking about Bret Hart and Sting in 1998 as one of their main feuds. You know, hell, hallelujah, some, some watchable WCW main events could be back, depending on the, the, the style of wrestling that Sting returns with. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that there's an immediately obvious program like there's going to be a question, should he wrestle at Starcade? There's a case for saying no. Um, Starcade, you know, you, if you want to make Bret Hart's arrival a big deal, I don't know that sticking him in second from the top behind WCW, I maybe they'll want to. Maybe they'll want to bring him in and just say, okay, Bret, you're at this level, and we are, our, our Sting and Hogan are above that level. But I, I, I think it, it, it's it's in WCW's best interest to not do that. It's in their best interest to present Brett alongside a Sting kind of level, um, and then we're you know we're talking about possibly dividing up the NWO or breaking it up or breaking off, say Hogan or maybe Hall. Um, but I think now Brett's there. You can probably keep them together. But then we've got the question of what they're going to do with these two TV shows. It seems like they want to try and keep them fairly separate. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent that are on very fixed, you know, 100, 150 dates a year contracts. They're not going to work two, two shows a week. So they're talking about, you know, essentially splitting up, you know, the, the plan, as I understand it, is an NW-only show and a WCW-only show, which in some respects sounds like a terrible idea. Um, but to me, if that was the case, then yes, maybe you could take Brett and make him the big guy on the second show. But it is the second show, and it is Bret Hart. And you know, We talk about guys like Ric Flair and Kurt Henning kind of being over the hill. Bret Hart's 40 years old now. For a guy that prides himself on in-ring work, he's not going to last more than five or six years, I wouldn't think, and I think he will start to decline quite soon. Um, and the other thing you've got to factor in, we talk about presentation with Bret Hart down. Bret Hart right now is the hot name in wrestling. As of four weeks ago, the yardstick changed in that regard. I feel like WCW might only have one shot at this, and if they present him as this kind of second-tier guy, they might never get it back. Absolutely. I mean, it's, as you said, it's like it's, it's it's great that you've actually got the guy in, but it's come at the absolute worst time because they had all their set plans in place, maybe for, for definitely for Starcade, and certainly for maybe maybe he again, and again I've just thought this wasn't maybe he can be the 
the champion for Zabisco against um, Scott Hall that they're kind of talking about as a match for Starcade. Um, and then at least you're feuding them with what was effectively the second the second tier you know heel. Uh, you're getting him in the card. You've got him in against a guy you can work and put on. You know this is the excellence excellence of execution. Watching him have a good match and then Hulk Hogan I'm coming for you next. You know. Um, but if they do, if he just does become a guy, then it just goes to show again that sometimes you lose confidence in WCW because the booking is so hit and miss when it comes to the season, the moments, and creating the opportunity that fans might get annoyed and they'll just go, well, oh, sort of, he's another guy. And they've just then wasted a lot of money on a guy who is, could become a new Ric Flair in 1998 where he's still got the name value, he's still got some ability, but not at the same level as he was in, say, 1994. Craig, any thoughts? Difficult to really add much more to that than, than really has been, been discussed. Uh, like you say, Bob, WCW have now got uh, such a top, top act. But I, I think Craig's definitely got a dog. I think we can say that for certain now. Yes. Hold on. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll let Craig... You know, put him down. I'll carry on talking for a sec. Um, <laughs> that wasn't Um But yeah, like, yeah, the, the, the Brett stuff is interesting, but there's no, as I say, there's no immediate, I can't think of an immediately golden ticket idea with Brett Hart here. Craig, are you back? No. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, oh, yes. Uh, Craig, carry on. Uh, yeah, I, the WCW have got such a hot, hot act. Uh, there's talk about how they might not want to spoil plans they've already got in place but at the same time it would also be a massive waste not to capitalise on on the the uh, heat around Bret Hart at the moment but I mean as we've discussed it is WCW how I, I, uh, I'd be very wary about how sort of the NWO power play is going to play in, in all of this in terms of Bret Hart's future but so hot, they can't. They, I don't think they can afford not to, not to use them. They sort of that could just push them right even further ahead of the WWF at the moment. So it, it would seem a massive waste if they weren't to sort of capitalise on that. Yeah, I, I know it's I know it stings space, but I feel like the best place for Brett might be, you know, just saying, look, I'm I, I, I'm a lone wolf, which again okay, is kind of the sting thing, but like. Oh, I, I'm better than everyone else, and I'm going to prove it. I don't care if you're NWO or you're WCW. You're you're in my sights. That might be the best thing to do because there's a there's a lot of potentially very interesting programs about Bret Hart. Both sides, like you know, we talk about Bret against Hogan, Bret against Hall, Bret against Nash. There's also Bret against Giant, Bret against Page, Bret against Sting. Like. That's why he's such a good signing. I almost think it would be a mistake to, to put him one side or the other because you can move him across like that. But again, I don't know how easy that is to present. Um, final thing, speaking of the giant, um, Dad, his contract runs out, I think, in... It might be middle of next year, end of next year. He's got like a year left on his contract or something like that. Um, talks are that he might be... Uh, that he might be kind of holding off on signing it until they have a better idea of what... or until he has a better idea of what they're going to do with him. Um, and Giants in an interesting spot, and I, I kind of feel like he was really, really good and really, really over 95, 96, and he's kind of been lost in the shuffle a bit this year. Yeah, I mean, he kind of was playing number two, wasn't he, to Lex Luger in the, in the WCW war with the NWO, 
Um, but then once that kind of cooled off, when it was clear that Sting was the guy who was going to be getting the big money matches, he's sort of never really had a good chance to to prove his worth. He's had a he's, he's you know he's got a few going on with Kevin Nash right now, which is you know still if you want to talk about Nash and Hall as like the two number two heels, I mean that's still a good spot to have. That's not that's not a mince words here, but. Again, with Brett coming back into the fold, you've now got another guy who, in terms of name value and stock, is higher than the Giants. So, you've lost, you're back down again the totem pole. And I don't know whether you put him in with some, maybe some smaller guys, potentially, to kind of build him up as this destroyer and then have the opportunity to then go after whoever is, you know, Hogan again to kind of prove that he can hang with him. I don't know. But... As I said, it's very difficult to know because he's not... Going back to the NWO would be a backward step, you would think. Because he's already been there. He got booted out. He didn't want to be part of it. And then going back, they would just kind of feel a bit... You know, doesn't make sense. But if you, you know, and, but as a free agent, he doesn't work either because he's, he's been in the fight. He's always been on the front line and he's now been demoted. So maybe make him the face of a... Maybe face him the division like a United States or a tag division if, if Bischoff wants to get rid of tag teams. Um, make him like the dominant force of the tag team and everyone having to be desperately trying to be his partner. I don't know. You know, it's, I think immediately right now, Giant can't be in the main event scene because he's he's been there and he's kind of done it already. Well, that's he's had a character um, change, but it's not going to be easy for him in the next six months, that's for sure, in terms of finding his spot, as he referenced in World War Three. Craig? Uh, yeah, the, the Giants run at the moment is uh, very interesting. He's getting absolutely fucked over by uh, the NWO and you can't imagine he's uh, really going to want to be in that for the long haul, can you? Uh, no. So, yeah. Uh, uh, just the, the, the whole messing around by Nash and everything like that, you've got to imagine he's probably considering his options because... He probably sees that he's not going to be able to reach the top with uh, with the NWO there, and I think that's sort of the, the point I was trying to make with, with Bret Hart coming in as well. I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be able to reach the top either with those guys around. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the thing with uh, with Giant is that it's kind of what I said about Vader before. If you don't present him as this like number one heel, this number one face, like I don't know how it works. Giant is this like sort of lower end of the main event card as, you know, we can put him in, we can have him win cleanly over everyone else apart from this list of names. And then if we've got space for him, we'll put him in a big few one of the big guys. I don't know that it works. I don't know that the Giants three-dimensional enough to be able to pull that off. Um, and yeah, maybe if his contract is coming up, he might look and go, well, this man likes big guys. There's a lot of space that side of the line. There won't a lot. Um, and, you know, who knows what can happen in the next six to twelve months? I suppose, um, but maybe he might look at it and go, you know, I can, I can get more. There's more upper mobility that side. It happened with Hunter Helmsley, same kind of deal. You know, they they had plans for him. They thought highly of him, but he looks at the lay of the land and went, there's more upper mobility that side. Okay, that was two years ago, not three years ago actually, and things have changed quite a bit since. Um, but yeah. It'll be uh, interesting to see how that goes. And as we say, where the giant ends up once Brett's arrived and everyone's back. I mean, he is feeling with Kevin Nash right now, which is as good as, as anyone bar Hogan, I suppose. Um, but what the plan is for him after that, we'll, uh, 
will remain to be seen. Anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. Big thank you to Dan Welling. Dan, thanks very much. No problem at all. Uh, Dan, well, where can people find you on Twitter? At Daniel886. And Craig Wilson. Craig, thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure. I, I don't usually get uh, brought in for a WCW show, so it's a, a change of scenery. Fantastic. And Craig, tell people where they can find your Twitter and your blog. Yeah, uh, the, the best sort of starting point would uh, be our blog. It's ringthedanbell.wordpress.com and you can find all the social from there. And that obviously blog name being very inspired by events covered in two of the three podcasts this month. Yes. Two of the three? I don't imagine it's going to be discussed on ECW. Uh, oh, no, you're right. Sorry, I just zoned out there at one point. I couldn't quite hear what you said. Ah, uh, yes. No, I know what you mean. We, uh, we're we not really right. discussing it on, uh, on ECW, but there's a fair amount going on on ECW as well, so there is that. But yes, as we uh, as we say, volume number three, ECW, this is volume number two, WCW, but all eyes are on volume number one. The WWF, as we look at the uh, the Montreal Screwjob and uh, how all that went down, we've got... We put that in time for next week. We booked it a 5 p.m. start, so I'm hoping the uh, the, the long evening will give us enough time to uh, to cover all of that. Uh, but needs a lot going on. A reminder: we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access to our shows, you can do so at patreoncom wrestling 20 rs Links in the podcast description and on our website. You can find our website at wrestling20yrs.com. You can find us on Twitter at wrestling20yrs. And that'll do that. I've been Bob Barber. This has been volume number two of the November 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>